This is The Bouquet Toss, a wedding planning podcast brought to you by TheBudgetSavvyBride.com to help you decide what to keep and what to toss from your wedding day plans. Welcome back to The Bouquet Toss. Today, we are talking about the venue. Choosing where you'll exchange your vows and celebrate your union is a big decision and should be given the proper amount of thought. Your venue and the associated costs of rentals will likely make up a large chunk of your spending. So you want to choose a site that's not only beautiful and functional, but also within your budget. There's no sugarcoating it. Finding a location with the perfect mixture of attributes is going to take some time and research. Before you get started, you should have a tentative date or at least a month in mind to help you narrow down your options. To give yourself the best chance of securing the perfect venue, you'll probably want to try to be flexible. You'll likely want to tour and gather information from several different locations. Comparing venues will make the final decision easier. Yeah, I mean, right off the bat, I think that's the best piece of advice is that getting as many quotes as you can, just getting like as much information as you can is key to then also not having buyer's remorse and being like, oh, but maybe we could have found it for this price or something like that. Totally. So right from the start, one of the biggest questions for everybody is like, okay, where do we want to even look? And so there's the obvious things of like, if you live in like a central city or something like that, that would be easy for your guests to get to, maybe that's an option. But you're also having to figure out like the travel and everything for everybody involved. So... I like that you have this tip where you write down four locations just to start, and that can kind of help you mold where you might pick the venue. So can you talk through these like starting locations? Sure. So the first is where you and your partner met, and that could be the city or even a particular location. Uh, The second is where you currently live. Maybe that's different. Maybe it's the same. The third is where your parents live. And the fourth is where your partner's parents live. I think most of the time, people are going to have potentially four different answers for all of these questions. But if you're in the situation where it's all in the same place, lucky you, (laughs) you don't don't have to think about it so much. Yeah, I also think that if you're kind of not tied to a specific place and you're like, how do we just like put all locations in a hat and choose one, you know, this can be a helpful way to just set a little bit of parameters, but then also has to be said, if you picture your venue somewhere that is not one of these four places, you do you. It is your day. Yes, there might be people who are like, oh, really? We have to go there for your wedding? But like, then they don't have to come if it's that big of a deal. Exactly. And, you know, maybe you do want to do a completely destination event. And if so, have your day your way, as we say. <laughs> <laughs> Love what it rhymes. Yes. Okay. These are just a good place to start if you're like, I don't really know. But maybe you do have a few places in mind and you want to figure out the actual type of venue that would make sense, right? Because Everywhere you go, there's going to be different size venues. There's going to be different like vibes that they all bring. So to get started, we have a list of questions you can ask, you know, yourself and your partner to figure out the kind of venue beyond just like the physical location of where it's going to be. 
So number one is, do you want to separate the ceremony and the reception locations or would a single venue be preferred? Jess, tell me why you would pick two locations other than because it's like a religious ceremony. I think that's probably the most common scenario is if you're planning to get married in a church, a chapel, some sort of like religious location, then you might choose to do your reception elsewhere. I personally haven't been, I'm trying to think, I don't think I've ever been to a wedding where the, oh, except for the hockey ice rink wedding where the ceremony was at the hockey uh, arena. And then the reception was at like a community center. So, you know, there, there are potentially reasons why you might want separate locations, whether it's, you know, you want an outdoor ceremony at like a local park, and then maybe you go to a restaurant for like a small intimate reception dinner. In those cases, you know, obviously there would be two different locations, but as far as like simplicity goes, I think finding a single location is awesome. <laughs> Yeah, you're cutting down on so much, like by having a single location in terms of transportation costs. Also Logistics. But yeah, stressing out the people coming, they have to figure out how they're getting to and from. And then also your decor is so much easier to pull double duty when it's in the same place because you can just move it from the ceremony to the reception. Or Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Yeah, all those rentals, the decorations. If you're having to split those costs up across two different locations, it's probably going to add up a bit more than just choosing one single venue. Mm -hmm. So number two is, do we picture exchanging our vows inside or outside? I think that this one is kind of hard because, I don't know, I feel like if you're one of those people where the weather, which I'm one of these people, like <laughs> if the if it's one degree too cold or one degree too hot, I'm like, no, I cannot do this. <laughs> so if you know that that is something you're finicky about, I think knowing like, okay, if we're having a summer wedding, we don't want to be outside because it'll be too hot or vice versa. Like we're having a winter wedding. We definitely don't want to be outside. Like we don't want to put our fate in the hands of the elements and have an issue. So because true. I, right? Because then I also think like, you know, if you do want this like outside picturesque thing, sometimes you can create that inside. And sometimes you can also create that inside feel outside. Like I love when people have those like Persian rugs as like an aisle and, mm -hmm. you know, there's ways to make it intimate and cozy. So letting yourself really just like, you know, sit and picture like what would feel like, what do I imagine when I'm like saying those things? Right. I think it's cool because you can be so creative. Well, and I think, too, you have to keep in mind the potential season that you're looking at planning for because outdoors in the spring or the fall is a bit different than outdoors in the summertime. And I don't know about you, but I just watched um, season two of Love is Blind. <laughs> and one of the couples was like getting married outside and the poor groom was just sweating buckets. Like there was sweat dripping off his face the entire time. And I was just like, that poor guy looks so uncomfortable and no spoilers, but it's like, is he gonna say no? Because, you know, <laughs> the whole concept of love is blind. Anyway, I was like, is he just sweating because it's so miserably hot? Or is he going to say no at the altar? <laughs> oh, my God. The drama. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's like such a big thing, I think, to think about, especially like if you're wearing a dress and like you really you don't want to be like dripping sweat. Something to think about. For but sure. then also, you know, you could be foregoing having this really nice picturesque 
backdrop by like a lake or by, you know, in a cool forest or something. Yeah. So talk it out. Talk it out. And and assess your comfort level and your partner's comfort level, depending on average temperatures at the time of year you are getting married. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Sage advice. Okay. So number three is, is it important to have our ceremony occur in a place of worship? You know, this is a big one, I think, that as we discussed already would mandate if it's a two two location type of event. I think that this also gets a little bit dicey. Like I think particularly now, just for like the generation of people getting married, I think a lot of parents have more thoughts about necessarily having things in a place of worship as the years go on and we kind of get further and further from weddings being necessarily tied to religion. There's people who maybe are up against having to speak with people that are, you know, in older generations in their family that don't really understand why they wouldn't. I also think it's amazing that so often now we're blending religions. And so it might not work to have, you know, if one partner has one place of worship and one has another, to pick one spot might not feel comfortable. And so maybe just to pick one that's neither, but to incorporate pieces of those religions might be the better compromise. Yeah, absolutely. Lots of things to think about when it comes to that. Yeah. And then also, I think just also remembering that if you choose not to have it in a place of worship, that doesn't mean you can't include religious aspects. You know, people do that all the time. Even if you're, even if you chose your backyard, you can still do a lot of those things and add those elements in, you know, moral of the story is think outside the box with it. Absolutely. Number four is, are we flexible with our wedding date based on a venue's availability? That's big. It is big. And right now in 2022, the year of the wedding boom with more weddings than ever before since 1984, venues are booked solid. And if you have your heart set on a particular location, this is where being flexible is going to be really key. And so if you do find a place that you're particularly in love with, being willing to be flexible with their availability might be the deciding factor between whether or not you can get married at that location. Yeah, I mean, I think that also speaks to having some backups, having some other choices when you're doing your venue research so that you don't like fall in love with one and it's the end all be all, but then you can't get married for like four years because you want a specific <laughs> date. <laughs> Or you could, you'd have a lot of time to save up. Yeah, which isn't always a bad thing either. Right. So then number five is, are there any venue deal breakers that would nix a location immediately? Can you talk about this a little more? So in my mind, I think about if there are certain accommodations that need to be made, you know, like handicap access, if you have elderly family members, if the terrain is difficult to navigate, you know, things like that, I think would be deal breakers other potential deal breakers especially if you're on a limited budget i could see asking if the venue allows you to provide your own alcohol because that can be such a huge cost saver if you're able to control you know the cost per bottle of wine or beer or whatever that you're serving rather than going with the catering company's quotes with the standard alcohol markup which is outrageous so things like that, especially if you're on a limited budget, would potentially be deal breakers. 
but a lot of them are going to be, you know, personal to you and your partner, depending on what your priorities are. Yeah, there's things included in every venue that are like the fine print almost, you know, so really like learning what that is. If you are considering one of these places as a possible venue, it definitely goes beyond like the pictures that you're seeing on Instagram or on their website or, you know, the nitty gritty details are really important to find out. Yeah. For example, I have a friend who just got engaged and she's looking to plan a wedding in Idaho. And one of the venues that she was looking at is owned by a family that is Mormon. So they don't allow alcohol at that venue at all. <laughs> so deal breaker for her and her <laughs> partner. But yeah, so, you know, just just know what what the things are that are important to you and your partner. And it'll help you eliminate the venues that just immediately are not a fit. Mm -hmm. That was such a good example. Um, okay, number six is, is there anything specific we've dreamed about in terms of a wedding venue? What do people so dream about? <laughs> <laughs> Everybody dreams about different things, I think. But, you know, I think this is if you've always pictured yourself getting married next to a body of water, whether it's the ocean or a lake, you know, being out in nature in some way you know, that'll obviously inform the types of venues and the locations that you're going to be looking for as options. Or if you have more of like a modern aesthetic in mind, you know, obviously like the traditional like hotel ballroom situation or things like that, or maybe some sort of like rustic industrial vibe, you know, knowing that specific style can be really helpful in kind of narrowing down your options from the start. Yeah, I just also want to add that for some people, you may not have had these like long life, lifelong dreams of these things you want for your wedding. And so looking at other what other people have done and gathering as much research on other people's weddings can be the thing that makes you figure out what it is that you quote unquote dream of. There might be things that like your family dreams of or dreamt of and that may be creeping into what you think you dream of it's like you kind of have to do a little bit of that self exploration to figure out where those feelings come from and what they actually mean for you love that so number seven how much control do we want to have over the design logistics and arrangements of the day this is so big because there are some people who really want like everything down to a T the way that they have envisioned it. They want control over how the tablescapes are going to be set. They want control over what's going to be on the menu, like all of these things. Other people want other people to figure it out for them. And both are completely okay. Both are viable options, but the venue that you choose is going to dictate whether or not that's possible for you. Definitely. You know, I think there are kind of two sides to the coin. It's like some couples DIY things or like plan everything themselves because it's more affordable potentially to do so rather than hiring a professional versus some people do it because they just want absolute control over every decision that's being made. You know, it's like, tell me you're a type A bride without telling me, you know? <laughs> um, and so, you know, you have to decide like what level of control you want or what level you're willing and able to relinquish potentially to a venue that already has certain aspects kind of dictated for you, like standard table linens or a very preset aesthetic for centerpieces, things like that. And those are more common in 
all-inclusive type venues, but it's definitely an important consideration. I think we should also point out that just because you might want to have one of those more inclusive locations and maybe there's a price associated with that doesn't mean that it's not the savvy choice because for you, the amount of energy you're going to save, the amount of decision fatigue you're not going to experience, like all of the anxiety that you might have if, if this is how you are, you know, having to pick all these things out. Sometimes the savvier choice for you is to put a little more room in the budget for somebody who's going to do that stuff for you. Absolutely. And so number eight is what is the vibe or feeling that we want our wedding to have and how does that translate to a potential location? With this, I think we've already said it, but I think being creative is the most important part of this. The most exciting weddings I think that we see when we get submissions for the blog are the ones that had maybe a non-traditional type of space and turned it into the dream that they wanted to achieve. It is so possible to do stuff like that. It is so possible to use your imagination and your creativity or spoiler alert, just look on a publication like The Budget Savvy Bride and see what other people did and then transform a space into, you know, the wedding that you want to have. Yeah, if you don't have the funds, you do have access to your own creativity. And the thing that I always equate savviness with is resourcefulness. And so if you're willing to be creative and put in a little bit of extra time and effort into maybe a location that is less all-inclusive or less inclusive and is more of like a blank space, you do have more control. You do have more freedom, essentially, to make that space your own. Very cool. I love that. And lastly, number nine, do we have access to any properties or locations via family or friends that we could use in lieu of a traditional venue? This, I think, is so, so, so important because if you do a little bit of thinking outside of the box, you may just have, you know, a venue somewhere that somebody is willing to let you use that maybe there's never even been a wedding there before, but you can imagine how to put the pieces together to pull it off. And the amount you could save is almost astronomical. Absolutely. It does require a lot more logistics and a lot more moving pieces for you to manage or potentially, you know, if you have a coordinator for help, which I definitely recommend, even if you're doing like a, a DIY backyard situation, just having someone run point for the logistics and details on the day of it is totally possible. And especially if you're comfortable having like a reasonably small guest list, it's totally manageable and a great way to do it the savvy way. Love that. So now that we've given you all of these questions to think about and ways to go about compiling your research, I just wanted to share one awesome resource that we have on the blog that helps you collect all of that data and keep it organized and weigh your options. So we'll link this in the show notes, but at thebudgetavvybride.com slash venue tracking spreadsheet, we have this Excel sheet already made that will help you just input these things, stay focused. It's also a really good way to be able to share the information with other people that you might want to get their opinions. You know, it's hard for you to just be like explaining with your words, like, oh, this, and then remembering like the details, this one included this, this included this. Like if you have something central that other people can access it might help you make decisions easier. 
Yeah, absolutely. And just because I think there's always some confusion with this, when you open this Google spreadsheet, you click make a copy and then it saves to your Google Drive. <laughs> so, but it's there. And then from that point, you can edit it and input all the information of the different venues that you visited. There's places for, you know, cost and all of that stuff. So you can compare all of the details in one place. It's not necessarily apples to apples in most cases, especially when you're considering, you know, like inclusive versus not versus raw space versus whatever. But it's still nice to have all that info in one place to help make those decisions. So savvy. <laughs> if you're just getting started with planning your wedding, you absolutely have to pick up a copy of the Budget Savvy Wedding Planner and Organizer. The book is part workbook, part how-to guide, helping you discover what your values truly are so you can plan a wedding that is authentic to you and your partner. From creating your wedding vision, deciding how you'll pay for it, and checking off every detail along the way, this book will help you stay on track and on budget. And at only $7.99 on Amazon, you'll be sure to score tips and ideas that will save you thousands on your big day. Visit thebudgetsavvybride.com slash book to get your copy today. And so then another thing that I think we should talk about is how to navigate your venue contracts. So let's say this is a decision that you make that it's going to be at a place that maybe even they, they do weddings all the time, right? There's likely the requirement of signing a pretty in-depth contract and really reading through all of these, like the fine print to make sure that you are aware of what their rules and restrictions are is so important. Like the fine print can be tricky, especially, I think this was something people learned like the hard way during COVID, unfortunately, when it came to having to reschedule or when it came to postponements, things with dates specifically, knowing exactly what your venue is putting out there what they've given you what they've had you sign what they are expecting it, it's really really just so key yeah looking out for like deposits when they're due sometimes especially with venues because it's typically a large part of the budget they often will break up you know into payments at a certain schedule throughout the course of you know, the time leading up into your wedding. And so knowing when those deposits are due, knowing if and when you have the ability to make a scheduling change, and if so, if there are any additional fees involved, which post-COVID, honestly, most wedding vendors have updated their contracts in order to protect them and their businesses. So this is super, super important. Read the fine print and look for details like that. Awesome. I think that is such key advice. And what goes along with that is kind of this next section that we want to go over, which are must ask venue questions. Not only is like reading what they give you important, not being afraid to open these lines of conversation and ask things like there's so much that you could easily just forget. There's pressure, you're like about to spend a lot of money, you know, there's there's a lot going on. And so there's a ton of things to remember to ask to you know, get out of the way. So we have this resource on the blog, again, linking it in the show notes, must ask venue questions. But we want to talk through some of the groupings of questions to give you an idea of those things that you just might not really be thinking about. So when it comes to the basics, 
obviously, can you do both the ceremony and the reception there, right? Can they accommodate that? Obviously, how many people can they sit? How many people can be there standing? What's the base price? But something you also want to consider is how long do you have the space? What's their availability for giving you additional time if you need it? Like things can happen. Personally, my sister's wedding, I was the maid of honor and the officiant somehow got mixed up and thought that it started an hour later. No. And so if there was some really tight scheduling at this venue and they had to be out of the reception space, like there would have been major issues. There's a very funny picture of me freaking out and like, (laughs) My sister was totally fine. She was like, it's fine. It's going to be fine. It's, it's totally fine. But like, yeah, they had to call the officiant and be like, uh, you know, we're starting soon. Like, are, are you almost here? so many questions. Did your sister have a wedding planner? No. No. Did she have a coordinator at all or any anybody helping? I don't know. I think that the venue gave her like a coordinator person. Uh-huh. And so I think it was them that was like, oh, wait, what's going on? The efficient should be here already. And was like, we need to contact them. Yeah. So I think that's what I think that's what happened. So let this be a lesson to anyone listening, especially if you're managing things yourself and you're you're planning most of your day to make sure to touch base with your vendors the week before or maybe two weeks before. In Gmail, you can literally pre-schedule emails at a specific time to go out. And if you do that to all of your vendors, just confirming, sending them all the day of timeline, just to make sure that everyone is made aware (laughs) of the schedule for the day. Um, That is so, so, so smart. Yeah. Even these people that like, this is their profession. This is what they do all the time. Like mix-ups can happen. And so I love that so much. At one point you just sit down and you pre-schedule all of those emails to all of your vendors and everyone gets on the same page. That's amazing. You know, this is the great thing about like sharing stories and like sharing just like experiences and information with other people is that you can learn really valuable lessons from other people's experiences and, you know, even little mistakes, you know? Right. So another category that we're looking at is what is included in the venue? Obviously you're going to be off the bat thinking of the food and the alcohol probably, but things like the tables, the chairs, the tablecloths, even some bits of decor, you know, the silverware, like the the food warmers, the server, all of these things, it's not necessarily intuitive that those are included. And so really getting clear on what are those things that will be provided and what are the things that you will need to provide. And then another one that I really like to bring up is the lighting. We have an awesome episode about wedding lighting in season two. So I would definitely recommend going back and checking that out. It's something people often just don't think about and there's so much that lighting can do. Anyway, tidbit, back to this. With the lighting, I think it's very easy if you're picking a venue that does weddings all the time or, you know, whatever it is, it's very easy to be like, oh, they can handle that. Like, I don't need to think about that. But there's still often a lot of options that you can choose from within what they have. So you're best off asking and like getting the full breadth of what they can accommodate and then being able to make those decisions. 
Absolutely. Also things to consider, and it obviously will depend on what type of venue that you're looking at, but, you know, is there staff that's available? Are they going to help with cleanup, setup? What are their roles and responsibilities during the event? Yeah, knowing who they have in place to do all that stuff, but then also knowing what their plan is for the like tear down immediately, I think is really important because you're having fun. You're like, oh, I just want this party to go for the rest of time. And they might have a very specific time where they're like, no, we come in at arbitrarily 1am and everything starts coming down. And so you want to just be aware ahead of time of what they need to do for the space and how they need to manipulate it so that your plan like fits in and you're not surprised. Yeah. And, you know, going back to what you said about like the amount of time that you have the venue for, do you have access potentially the day before for storage for items, especially if you're doing a lot of DIY and like set up yourself? Do they have a place where on the night of like your rehearsal, you can go and drop off things in advance so that they're there and ready for you on the day of? Those are important things to know in terms of, you know, storage availability and what specifically you have access to and when. Very good to know, which is the perfect segue into our next section of questions, which is the good to know questions. (laughs) So things like parking, how many cars can be accommodated? Is it free? What happens if you have overflow? These are things that your guests are immediately going to have to deal with. So getting ahead of that is super important. And then being able to put that on your wedding website or whatever communications you're using, key. Things like the bathroom situations. Where are they? How many are there? Like what's in them? (laughs) Things like that are super important. Another one that's super important to remember is electricity. Now, this is something that is getting easier and easier, I would say, with every passing year because people are making magical technology that doesn't necessarily even need a power source. <laughs> but there are going to be things like lighting and, and sound and things that you're going to need to have close to a power outlet. So being able to ask ahead, like, where are those located? You know, if you have a very specific vision for where you want something to be situated, but it needs an outlet, asking that way up front because that could last minute make a shift in so many other things. Yeah, absolutely. I'm thinking things like, you know, like a photo booth, for example, where it's going to be a big area where people are going to be gathering, your guests are going to be having fun, like you want to prioritize having a space for that. And especially if it's the type of photo booth where you need electricity, like having the proper outlet nearby is crucial. So crucial. Another group of questions to focus on are the rules and regulations set up by this venue. You could have this like amazing dream for this candlelit aisle or something like that. And they maybe don't allow like those open flames from candles. That would be devastating, right? Things that are maybe off limits to them. You know, the example you gave earlier of that venue not allowing alcohol, like that is huge. So restrictions that they are going to have in place, you know, asking very specifically about the ones that you might really need to not be in place super important. Right. Yeah. The thing that I hear a lot, especially is not allowing open flames like candles or there are venues that don't allow for sparklers. And so if you've always envisioned a sparkler exit for that, you know, epic photo at the end of your wedding album, 
you'll want to make sure that your venue actually allows you to use sparklers. There's also venues that have restrictions on confetti or anything that would like leave trash behind too. And so those are the things that you'll also want to make note of if you have a specific vision in mind for that aspect of your day. Mm -hmm. And then another thing that I think we can wrap up this list with because there's just too many to cover. So (laughs) checking out the full one is really where it's at. But the last thing we should focus on is like the what if questions. It might seem like an obvious type of thing, or it might seem like you can just assume that if something bad happens, like you're screwed, but not necessarily. And so asking like, is insurance included in the price that you're paying for the venue? Are you, you and your vendors required to be carrying insurance to hold your event at this place? Um, And then, you know, what happens if there's a natural disaster or, you know, God forbid, but what, you know, what if there's something that really does actually get in the way of you having it, like having all your I's dotted and your T's crossed and knowing this information is key. Yeah. As someone who lived in Nashville during the um, floods of, I think it was 2010. Yeah. I had a friend whose wedding venue got basically like out of commission in the flood a week before her wedding. No. Yeah, so she had to very quickly replan for a new location the week of her wedding. So, oh man, I don't remember the specific circumstances of like how that worked out monetarily or whatever, but you know, it happens, it, it can happen, it can happen. Yeah, so not, not to scare anybody. <laughs> <laughs> so, there's so many more of those questions that are just great to be primed for when you're having these conversations with vendors, specifically your venue. Not only are they at that resource on the blog, but also in the book, The Budget Savvy Wedding Planner and Organizer, you can get this whole idea laid out for you with every question that you need to ask. That sound means it's time for Wedding Watch, a segment of the Bouquet Toffs where we discuss iconic wedding moments from our favorite TV shows and movies. If you want to hit pause and watch the clip we're talking about today, head to our Wedding Watch playlist on YouTube. The link is in the show notes. Okay, today's wedding watch is The Office. Jim, Jim and Pam. <laughs> PB and J. I feel like when we were discussing these, you were like, this is The ultimate. Cute. Yeah. Yeah. I love it so much. When you really break it down, it's really about them doing like an iconic YouTube dance. Yeah, recreation. Like recreation, right? Because Michael thinks it's a good idea. <laughs> <laughs> The amount of like Easter eggs that are in the actors went for it. When they got the chance to walk down that aisle, it's just so funny. Every single thing. So like, first of all, Dwight kicking the bridesmaid in the face. Oh my God. <laughs> like full cackle. I also loved Angela just walking very stiffly down the aisle with her purse. She did not dance at all, which is like very true to character for her. Um, Kevin with the shoe boxes on his feet, or sorry, the <laughs> tissue boxes, like for yes. shoes. <laughs> yes. Like what happened? His like shoes, he didn't have shoes. I don't, I don't remember, I don't the, remember the context. There's so many good like moments in this. And I think one of the things, obviously the, the surprise dance down the aisle was not something that Jim or Pam, the bride or groom who are actually getting married, neither one of them wanted that. But their friends and family, too, 
kind of forced it upon them as tends to happen in mm-hmm. a lot of cases with weddings, maybe not with like a dance down the aisle, but with expectations or pressures or things like that. And so what I really, really love about like this TV wedding is that like Jim and Pam ran off and did their actual wedding on the boat right. at Niagara Falls. And I love that Jim is like, he like tells the camera at the end, the boat was plan B, the chapel was plan C and plan A was marrying her like way earlier or something like the day I met her. So sweet. I know. And like in the very beginning of the, the scene at the wedding, like Jim does his like typical like deadpan to the camera, like, oh, yep, they're up to their crazy hijinks, you know, favorite thing. My favorite thing, him looking at the camera. So is there anything we didn't love about Jim and Pam's wedding? Um, I mean, it was simple, right? Like they cut out the fluff. That's a good thing, you know, if that's what they felt like was important to them. And I love that they kind of did have the best of both worlds, you know, in terms of like they had their intimate moment that was really like meaningful and personal together on the boat. But then they did still have the silly fun with their with their friends and family, even if it made them cringe a little on the inside. You could see that it also kind of like warmed their hearts at the same time. Yeah, it was so cute. I think also that they were keeping an eye on savvy and budget probably mm-hmm. from the beginning planning that. They so, work at a paper company. Yeah. <laughs> I don't think they're rolling in it necessarily. <laughs> I think... Yeah, I think Pam was like very, I think Jim was just like, I don't need anything. I just need to marry Pam. And I think Pam had some things that she like needed to have, but not like at the expense of like budget, you know, like not if it was going to be expensive. So I feel like savviness scale, like this is high. This could be like a nine. Yeah. Because not only did they have a pretty pared down, just like brass tacks, this is what we need, wedding. And then they also got to have their real version of what they wanted at Niagara Falls. So two for one. (laughs) (laughs) Two for one. Yeah, I agree. I think this is definitely something I would consider a savvy wedding. And, you know, they focused on the things that mattered most to them. They included the people who meant the most to them and did a simple, got it done. I just love the office so much and like their relationship. They really put the emphasis of their wedding on their relationship and not on all the excess stuff. So Jim and Pam are wedding goals. Maybe not from like an aesthetic perspective, obviously, like a lot of people want, you know, a bit more decor, a bit more personality. But I think the the cast of characters in their, in their family and friends surely made up in the personality department. Oh my goodness. <laughs> Absolutely. I feel like that, that, YouTube wedding video that this scene was kind of like inspired by inspired so many trends over the last decade right I think that YouTube like creating videos or recreating videos on YouTube was like such a thing during that time that Mm -hmm. the producers were so smart to do this like how many people do you think did a recreation of the office wedding probably so many I'm sure smart on the creators Imagine like if TikTok had existed during the office era. (laughs) Could you imagine? Not at all. I think each of them would need their own account. 
I bet there's people who have like specifically office themed TikTok accounts. I love that. I'm sure TikTok's listening to me now. I'm probably going to start getting them on my For You page because it's like big brother always listening. Okay. Well, you'll let us know. I will. I will report back on that actually. And that concludes our weekly wedding watch. Want to hear us chat about one of your favorite scenes? DM us on Instagram and let us know what we need to watch and chat about on future episodes. So one last thing that I want to discuss before we close this out is that one of the best ways to cut costs is to look for a non-traditional venue option. We've said this so many times, we talked about it in the budget episode, but really like somewhere around 50% of your spend is typically spent on the venue. So getting ahead of that and being able to think outside the box, I think could be life-changing for this event. On the blog, we have a wonderful post about finding affordable and unique wedding venues, things like Airbnbs or cabins in the mountains or, you know, how to pull it off at a beach or a lake. There's, there really are so many things that like, even if they don't scream wedding, they are viable options. And likely many, many people have already pulled off a wedding in that sort of venue. So, you know, can't express enough how important it is to look outside the box. Absolutely. And in our real wedding section on the budgetsavvybride.com, there are so many examples of unique outside the box venues from summer camp like campgrounds or yes i love that one yes or like um one couple got married in an airplane hangar (gasps) cool and we've seen weddings in libraries and art galleries which are very beautiful chic like modern spaces that aren't typically used for events like that so they were able to get a deal on it you know so Think outside the box. Think about like what, you know, interests you and your partner share and like maybe use that as inspiration for seeking out some sort of alternative location that is meaningful to you. Amazing. So well said. Thank you so much, Jess. This has been such a helpful conversation about how to go about picking your wedding venue. I can't wait to come back and talk about your invites and wedding website. All right. You've been listening to The Bouquet Toss, a podcast brought to you by The Budget Savvy Bride. We would love for you to join us in our free private community to get support and inspiration from other couples currently planning their weddings too. Consider The Bouquet tossed in your direction so you can rate, review, and subscribe to the show on your favorite podcast app. As always, stay savvy and stay tuned for our next episode. Bonjour, this is Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. I'm Andrew Pryor, and every week I bring you the wonderful and fabulous people involved in French food, whether they're here in France like me or from around the world. Each week, we dive into a specific topic, be it a French dish, an ingredient, or a French cuisine cooking technique. My guests are all about French food, so come join me on... Fabulously Delicious, the French food podcast. Bon app.